Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello everyone, welcome to Tuesday afternoon here on AusBiz, Australia's only live streaming business and markets network. Great to have your company for the next 60 minutes in particular because that is what we call the call. We kick off at midday every Monday to Friday, Eastern Daylight Time. Uh, look at 10 stocks that you want us to have a look at. I put them to two share market experts to see what their view is of the company. and. Uh, Today, really delighted to have, always look forward to having um, uh, Howard Coleman from Team Invest with us. Howard, uh, good afternoon to you. How's your, how's your week been so far? Yeah, good to be with you. Uh, uh, week's been good so far. And in fact, it was nice and quiet yesterday. The stock exchange wasn't open most of the day. So uh, there wasn't a lot to have to do, really. Extraordinary. Had a, had a great first 30 minutes. Um, they then went kaput for the day, which um, in this day and age, you do shake your head a bit, Howard, how that could happen. You do, you do. But as Warren Buffett says, most investors would probably do better if the market was closed most of the time. So uh, <laughs> they, wouldn't, they wouldn't trade so much. They would think in terms of longer term investing rather than short term trading. So yeah, from yeah, our team no. investors point of view, it was just amusing. But you, you do shake your head that it happens. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, Gary Glover is with us, of course, from Novus Capital. Gary, good to see you. And um, all odds almost back to the to the March levels, March yeah, highs. I'd, I'd be a bit lost if the market was closed every day. So yeah, I wouldn't know what to do. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah. But the bounce back to the March highs is uh, big move. Yeah. Big move, is that? So we're close to six hundred points in about nine trading days. So yeah, yeah. pretty decent move. So. I'm a little bit cautious here. I just sort of right. think you are, yeah, these sort of, sounds strange, but in low sort of growth markets, you actually get more volatility uh, within oh. the market. Whereas, oh. uh, so market might potentially stand still over a year or two's time, but in the short term, what you see is profound movements, big, yep. big yeah. and short moves. So that's, yeah. that's the way I sort of view this market is, uh, is it's going to swing back and forth a little bit wildly here, but yeah. that's, that's, uh, Present uh, opportunities as well. Yeah, yeah, on the vaccines and yeah. whether they work or not, whether we get back to sort of supposed life before yeah. COVID, which uh, well, is a bit the, hard the, to predict. The vaccine's pretty interesting. It's sort of what uh, so Pfizer's sold, uh, CEO sold pretty much on the day of the high, got out, you know, $80 million of the stock. And then right. was it Moderna last night, yeah. uh, another 40 or $60 million worth of stock sold on, the, on, the, uh, on those highs. So planned exits they were but i don't know i don't know how you describe them as planned well, well yeah. even moderna executives got yeah. out last night yeah yeah so they're all supposedly they're all planned they're all basically they've all had a strategy there that we're going to exit x amount of stock but actually getting it out on the day of uh, great news, news that that seems a little Wow. You know, I'm not sure we get away with that in Australia here as uh, you know, some no. of the CEOs, yeah. Howard, does something like that yeah. worry you? It's a bit like like everyone says, you know, the time to have got out of Westfield was when uh, the Lowys actually <laughs> actually sold. If the founders and the executives start getting out, you should follow suit. Um, does that yeah, worry you with... 
yeah, yeah, we put it from the point of view that when those, oh, when the executives in the company think that your money is worth more than their shares, you'd be very foolish to think the reverse. After all, they're in the business and you're not. So when the executives think that their money uh, or their shares are not worth all that much and they'd rather have your money, um, it'd be a foolish time to be buying shares. Right. Yeah, that's interesting. Really well pointed out, Gary. Thank you for that. Um, all right, let's start getting, before we get into your 10 stocks, we, of course, I choose a stock of the day. Before we take a look at PointsBet, um, the, um, the online uh, betting agency, has launched operations in Colorado, make it the fifth online sportsbook operation out of the US. PointsBet next stateside launch is for Michigan sometime after March next year. Michigan will also see the inaugural launch of PointsBet's iGaming product. Uh, earlier this year, PointsBet became the official online uh, betting agency of NBC Sport, the uh, the big sports network in, and free-to-air network in the United States. Um, Howard, what do you think of PointsBet? Well, not a company we follow in Team Invest, and there are a couple of reasons for that. I mean, one is the company hasn't made a profit. So its sales revenue is going up, but it's doing it unprofitably. And since as shareholders, you share in the profits of the company, you want the company to be profitable. So in 2019, um, they did $25 million in sales, but lost $41 million. Um, the following year, 2020, their sales virtually trebled. They did $75 million, almost exactly trebled. But again, they lost $41 million. So if the company carries on losing money, um, it's a little hard to get enthusiastic about owning a piece of the company. I mean, if it wasn't a company listed on the stock exchange and I came to you and I said, uh, I've got this business that I've never been able to run profitably so far, um, would you like to buy a piece of that business and give me some money for my shares? You'd say, don't be ridiculous. Um, so we sometimes lose sight of it on a stock exchange that uh, in the end, you make money because the company is profitable or you make money because there's a bigger fool that you've bought the shares and a bigger fool buys it from you at a higher price. But the safer yep. of the two is to be buying companies that are profitable. And PointsBet so far hasn't demonstrated that their management has the ability to make profits uh, in the business, which can eventually trickle down to the shareholders. So Team Invest members would, would definitely pass on this. It's right. a no from us. Okay. Uh, Gary, uh, hasn't been listed long um, and has always said its focus is going to be on the US market, isn't it, who, uh, yeah. who have been a bit behind in Australia in terms of online wagering. That's right. So, I mean, look, Hale's right there. The company doesn't make any money, but the reality is that there's a truck at load of stocks in Australia that haven't made a lot of money, particularly buy now, pay later pay space, right. yeah. Yeah. Uh, and most of them are still not making money yet there's been massive appreciation in the share price. So sometimes stocks that don't make a lot of money uh, can make you a lot of money on the share market. It, yeah. Yeah, the key there is on, to- On the promise and the potential. Yeah, on, on the momentum yeah. as well. So the thing about this um, PBH there is that there is a massive market scale there for it. Yeah. Um, so even though they're not making any money there, people are looking past that at the moment, they're looking at the revenue growth line. So looking at what, what can be, and this is the type of stock when there's a massive market potential there in your first market, 
yeah. um, that you really can get uh, a lot of shareholder appreciation there. So um, that's the plus side there. So yeah. I, I agree with Howard there, you know, these, these stocks are risky here, but these are the same stocks that also really do have a lot of appreciation as well. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm just looking at the technical side here. I noticed that um, in early this year, sort of June, July, the stock had a bit of a, a bit of a pause after a really straight, strong run. So yeah. what people refer to as a bit of a high type flag, technically, those are really bullish patterns and then they break out. So since then the stock has, after having this great run here, we can see it's gone basically sideways. Yep. So it really hasn't pulled back much. So the sellers haven't really been able to push the stock down. When the stock holds up nice and tight like that, that's normally quite constructive and bullish again. Oh. So Howard's right here, this company may not have a you know, great economic future profitability wise, but the market here is seeing momentum and this stock's got every chance of going high here. So right. it technically actually still looks pretty firm. Right, okay, because yeah. they're, so you'd be looking at it at this because a lot of, lot of like a lot of players here will be looking looking beyond, yeah. uh, be looking at the market potential here, and yeah. plenty of stocks that uh, um, that don't make money in the end still have massive runs here. So yeah. we just need to look at. I mean, these buy now pay later stocks. I, I predict in twelve months' time that half of those stocks will be worth less than fifty percent of where they are now. Right, but they still had that momentum yep. going there. So. And that, that whole sector now is now is rife with too many participants. So yeah. all the competitive advantage that were there for the early players will be taken yeah. away, yeah. super competitive. So it re yeah. really depends on your investment point of view, sort of a team yeah. invest point of view is yeah. invest for the longer term, medium to longer Correct. term. If, yeah. if you're happy to go mm. in for um, short appreciation or yeah. sort of a year or something like that and get yeah. out yeah. and not marry the stocks. Yeah. Ideally, you'd like to see a little bit more sort of uh, profitability within yep. these sort of fast growth stories, but it doesn't always weigh up that way. Yep. So, um, and it hasn't particularly weighed up that way in the last couple of years. So, yep. yeah. So, would you get into points bet at this level? It's look technically it looks pretty strong here, so right. I don't see any weakness in the share okay. price here. Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, let's start getting into uh, the stocks you've asked us to have a have a look at, and uh, Julie. Um, Gary wants us to have a view on Iris, the big um, uh, software and financial platform uh, business, um, uh, financial trading and, and information uh, used by 9,000 businesses, five, half a million users uh, globally on a regular basis. So I suppose it's a, an Australian version of the Bloomberg uh, platform, yeah, it? look, it's almost a bit of a monopoly on the Australian market. Yep. Um, market cap almost 1.9 billion, so it's a fairly decent sized company here. Yep. The, it's got a reasonable yield around 4.7%, but the PE is pretty high at the moment. Um, they have been starting to buy uh, little add-ons. So I saw they uh, bought at one view and there was a previous acquisition, previous, so they're sort of trying to buy a little bit of growth there. Yep. So look, it's a tough one here because um, I think 90% of their income is reoccurring income, so kind of locked in. So it's sort of pretty pretty stable. Mm -hmm. So there's a bit of safety in that product there, but multiples still pretty high. Yeah. And for a company that's, um, I think the revenue line was up 12% last full year, not bad. Net profit was obviously down because of COVID costs there, but it's just, it seems to be, to me, it looks like it's buying some of the growth at the moment rather than, ah. rather than having that organic growth. and. I mean, there's only so many more brokers and people can have Iris as well. So um, by saying that, market's pretty buoyant at the moment. So this is the sort of stock that tends to follow the, 
market fortunes. So, yeah. but, so it, but the one-year chart, yeah, it sort of just bumped along the bottom a bit. Yeah, just that. I think just sort of hit the growth curve a little bit there. So um, it was a bit of a market darling, uh, high growth there, but just growth starting to sort of side there, and that's kind of why I think the business mm. is starting to go out and buy right. some growth. So yeah. that's probably why some people are questioning here. So you know, I can't get excited by it, but I. You know, with with the ninety percent recurring revenue, just sort of makes it you know a safe sort of thing. As a user, I've I've used this product for twenty years, yeah. and it really hasn't progressed that much in the twenty years. It's got marginally better right. each year. It really hasn't. You know, with technology really making some big strides here, right. I, I don't know if it's really. You know, I, I've always I felt for the last five years that it's been ripe for someone to come in and be a competitor, but that hasn't happened. Right. Okay. So, yeah. All right. Yeah. Howard, what do you think of Iris? Yeah, I mean, as, as Gary says, it's pretty much got a monopoly in Australia, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's a good business to invest in. And um, for the last six years, its profit growth has averaged 1.2% per year compounded. It roughly kept up with inflation, probably a teeny bit below inflation. So in fact, it's really had no growth. And hardly surprisingly, over the six, same six years, the share price has gone nowhere. Um, it pays out pretty much all of its profits as dividends every year. So um, you could buy it for the dividend yield, but you wouldn't expect any capital gain. So um, really, uh, from a team invest point of view, where we're looking for 15 to 20% returns, that's what our members expect to achieve. Um, th there's no way that we could see that Iris would uh, in the long term, average 15 to 20% return. Um, in order for it to do that, it'd have to start growing. And as Gary says, the only way they seem to be able to uh, now be looking at growing, but so far it hasn't been that successful, it hasn't grown their profits, is by buying other tiny businesses. So, well, you know, it's well run in terms of, as Gary said, it's not going to do you any harm owning it, uh, other than all you'll really be owning it for is the dividend because you're highly unlikely to get any significant capital gain from here. It's on a PE ratio of about 27. And for a company with growth no better than, in fact, slightly below inflation, um, that's a pretty big call to be on a PE of 27. But seeing as it pays out all its profits in dividends, I'm sure some people own it for the dividend. But a no from us. Okay. All right. Yeah. The only little plus there, David, is that the acquisition there, the the one view, it's in that sort of administration of sort of managed funds and uh, self-managed super funds and just oh. income. So it has made a move here in in a, in a away from its core business. It is sort of something a little bit interesting, which could right. be bolted on. So that's uh, that that's an opportunity there. And uh, it's a sector that's pretty yeah, hot at the moment it is. with the net wealth um, it is there yeah you think yeah you're already kind of aligned there as well so yeah, yeah if you yeah. could have a product like that alongside a core 20-year product as well so there's a little little glimmer of hope there for the stock to to grow yeah. so i do like the movement into that area but it's only sort of small at the moment but and see whether they pull it off yeah it'd be interesting to sort of see how that goes yeah, yeah. okay all yeah. right watch out for that yeah. julie uh, thank you for that suggestion uh, now, Howard, Keith wants a view on McPherson's. Now, McPherson's has always been described to me as a company that makes all the things in your third drawer, the third drawer of your, uh, of your kitchen drawers and, uh, and also um, in your bathroom as well. They're, 
they're into face wipes, uh, skincare, personal cotton pads, and then also the uh, the baking paper, cling wrap, aluminium foil. I reckon it's, it's a good description of them uh, with all the products I, I, they produce. I think that's lovely. Yeah, I've heard that before. <laughs> I like that. Um, so, yeah, good description. Look, it's been around a long time, and it's um, sort of, uh, carried on selling all those kind of things largely as a wholesaler for a very long time. But it really is hard to get enthused about it from a team invest point of view because earnings per share is roughly halved in the last 10 years. In other words, it's making half the amount of profit for each share that it made 10 years ago. In the last six years, it's done a little bit better than that. It's roughly kept up with inflation at about 2.7% per year. Sales have been down on average over the last uh, six years by an average of about 11% a year. Um, so uh, it, it's, it's hard to really get excited about it. The only good thing about it is it's on a very low PE by market standards today. It's on a PE of about 14 and it pays out most of its profits in dividends. So the dividend yield is reasonably attractive, uh, again, like Iris, um, but, you, but looking at 10 years worth of history, um, it's hard to see where any growth is coming from. So um, a no from us, but uh, if somebody is really not at all interested in capital growth, um, but is only looking for dividends, I don't know why anybody would be doing that, but there are people who do that. Um, yeah. For them, it may in fact be a, a, a good stock to hold, uh, seeing as it's on a PE ratio as low as 14. Uh, there's always the slight chance that you may get an increase in the PE improving the share price, but it's unlikely to come from an increase in earnings based on past history. So, uh, a no from us. Uh, Gary, what do you think of Rick Yeah, like, yeah I, agree, I agree sort of mostly what sort of uh, Howard's saying. I noticed that they are forecasting uh, about 5 to 10% growth in net profit. Um, that's before tax. So, um, so, the problem at the moment is there's still uh, a lot of costs, you know, sort of with COVID there. So, that might yeah. affect the uh, uh, NPAT number. But yeah, look, it's, the multiple is interesting here. I saw they just actually bought Global Therapeutics off Blackmores. Yeah. So um, Blackmores have sort of offloaded a small business there. Um, but yeah, it's, it's not, not a business I get excited by. Look, if I saw it price go a bit lower, I might get a bit more interested. So yeah. if I saw that PE go down to 11, 12, um, with that sort of, you know, maybe the yield getting up over sort of five, five and a half percent, then Maybe there's a trading opportunity there, but yeah, it's a sort of a safe, but yeah, not shooting the lights. Yeah, out sort yeah, of stuff. but there's, well, there's nothing wrong with sort of <clears throat> un, you know safe, unsexy businesses. Sometimes they yeah. just I just think you got to buy them on a you buy them when they're really unloved. Yeah, you know, so at the moment it's unloved, but not really unloved. So right. just yeah, <laughs> so just maybe a little bit more shallower here. You know, I noticed it's been sold off pretty aggressively yeah. off its highs here, so that tells me maybe there's a bit more downside to go. Right, but. Maybe we're looking maybe under two dollars here. Maybe it's um, one to keep an eye on there because then it sort of starts to get really a bit more interesting on a on a valuation perspective. Okay. All right. So um, thank you very much for that, Keith. Um, good analysis there of uh, McPherson's. Uh, Gary, Helen wants a view on Codan, a, uh, a company that's been around a long while, mainly in the. Um, in the metal detection business, but has got into communications and some software areas at the moment as well. Uh, operations right around the world, Australia, Canada, US, 
uh, Middle East, India, um, three main products, radio communication, metal detection, and tracking solutions. Um, Gary, what do you think of Kodak? So it's, look, the last few years have been really, really uh, sort of robust, really strong for this business. Yep. So um, the revenue line has grown you know, quite substantially. The net profit has grown as well. So I think two years, so I think we're up 17% last year. Previous year, we we're up 18% uh, net profit after tax as well. Yep. So, so the business is humming. So um, looks pretty good. So obviously, a bit technical some of the areas they're in, but probably just the valuation is the tricky aspect here. So $2 billion market cap, PEs up around the 30 yields, less than 2% here. So just getting um, pricing in a lot of success, even though it's the, the, the management is building a, a track record of success as well. Yeah. So but that's that's often they go hand in hand sometimes as well. Sort of so the, the metal detectors have been their bread and butter, haven't they, in that gold industry and things yeah, like that. And then yeah. over recent years, they've they got into that communication side of it. Yeah, as so there's well. different. There's and lots of different. Well. Yeah, lots of different aspects to the business there, which is good. So it's not just all in the one area. So yep. military, mining, security, I think even aid, and so a lot of government sort of stuff. So broadening horizons there. Just yeah. So look, great company. Just just evaluation is for me. I just can't get past the valuation. It's just right. pricing in a lot of success here. But so far, these guys have uh, been delivering in, in the mm. recent years. So. Maybe it's one of those stocks to keep an eye on, I guess, if the yep. market got a little bit hairy, price pulled back, probably one of those stocks. It's probably going to be a stock that Howard really likes here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Howard, do you like it? Yeah. Um, yes and no. I mean, I, I, it passes our filters. And in fact, uh, interestingly, last week on Wednesday, I was in Canberra um, where we had our meeting, our monthly meeting. And the main stock we covered in the afternoon was Kodan. So in fact, yeah. we had a three hour session uh, looking at Kodan with our 20 members in Canberra. So we did it in quite a lot of detail. Everybody had prepared in advance and uh, as they do every month uh, on the, and it was on this particular stock. So there are a number of positives. Uh, number one is the, uh, not necessarily in the most important, but just going through the positives. Return on equity the last four years has been over 20%. So for every dollar of shareholder money in the company, the company's making over 20 cents. Now that's really good indeed. It's got virtually no debt, um, uh, close to zero debt. Uh, in fact, actually some cash on the balance sheet. The only debt shown is uh, the new AASB uh, 16 leases now get shown as debt. Um, earnings per share took a huge leap upwards in this past year, um, predominantly through the MineLab technology, which is these uh, detectors that people walk around with in Victoria and Western Australia largely detecting gold, and that's not a surprise. Um, their technology's good, they make a number of different detectors, um, and uh, the gold price is up dramatically, so there was more value in going around and detecting little bits of gold than there was a couple of years previously. Um, they spend a lot of money on R&D, both for the communications business and the um, uh, metal detection business. So that should set the company up well for the future. But I don't think we can take the massive growth in earnings in the last 12 to 18 months, uh, particularly in the mine lab business, as being a sign of what's going forward. Because if the gold price plunges again, then, of course, uh, people won't be buying new metal detectors. Their communications business will carry on growing, but not their metal detection business. Mm. So I think just looking at the last year, you get a slightly rose-coloured 
look at the business. So very good business, passes our filters. P at 28, our members in uh, Canberra felt that considering the earnings had been boosted this last year in a way that was unlikely to be boosted in future years, growth would slow down. In other words, there'd be growth, but not the kind of growth there's been in the last year. Um, that at a P of 28, it was too expensive. So um, uh, we liked the company. Um, we felt we needed to see some proof that they could grow well when the gold price wasn't rising so fast. And about two thirds of the members voted it to no, and about one third yes. So I, on that basis, would vote it a, a reluctant no because I think it's quite a good business, but it's good, a no. Yeah, good business, but valuation's a bit high. Um, similar point to Gary there. Um, now, Howard, Andrew wants uh, a view on EML Payments. This is the uh, um, the company that's basically in in um, those gift cards um, sure. that you can that you can buy from Bunnings and, and retailers. Also, uh, reloadable general uh, purpose cards as well, and and virtual account numbers. So it's a sort of a, a payments business with a bit of a difference, isn't it? Yeah, and um, I mean it all sounds great in, in theory, and and when you listen to what the business does, it sounds very attractive, but they don't seem to be able to make any decent money out of doing it. Their return on equity, uh, the highest it's been is, is about 6%. Most years it's been between 0 and 2%, which is far too low for return on equity to show that management is capable of running the business well and profitable. They don't have any debt, but they're on a PE ratio of approximately 100 at the moment. So right. this company have to absolutely revolutionize its profits and dramatically improve them, something they haven't really demonstrated up till now, to vaguely justify the kind of PE ratio that they're on. I mean, what you're really paying is you're saying that I'd be prepared to pay a hundred times the amount of profit this company makes to buy shares in this, uh, and I think I'll get my money back over time. Um, you know, uh, uh, certainly, if you out, and none of our members expect to live another hundred years, and I wouldn't mm -hmm. think too many investors expect to live another hundred years. So they, they'd have to suddenly discover some massive earnings uh, growth, um, far greater than their current earnings growth. Their earnings have been growing, but certainly nothing like uh, those kind of numbers. So a no from us. Okay. Uh, Gary, first quarter um, results out, uh, revenue up 75%, um, EBITDA 200%. So they had a good first quarter of this financial year, haven't they, the, yeah. the September quarter? So still, I think, uh, so last, last four years was uh, negative 6.5 million was the loss right. uh, on 122 of, of revenue. So about one2 six billion dollar market cap so as Hal says it's a big big market cap uh so that number was i um, think 25 percent year on year revenue growth so yeah. they're growing a bit faster now than obviously great so i actually do think email payments will survive the the great uh collapse of this sector because i right. think but basically there's so many different participants in the buy now pay later space yeah. so i think these guys will survive just because they've got their their segment that right. they're they're in it but the margins aren't great, so uh, it's all great to have these sort of uh, earnings models. So, 
just need to, you know, they either need to improve their margins, and that's going to be hard to do when, when the space is just super competitive at the moment. Yeah. Um, or you have to be doing a bucket load more revenue to, to earn that profit. So, yeah, I think that's the thing about the whole sector is that everyone's overlooking. Everyone's always looked at the um, the revenue and um, and the revenue growth. You know, not many people are looking actually at the bottom line at the moment because actually there's there's right. very little, if any, bottom line in any of these businesses. Right. So yeah, you know, it's just and hence why probably banks and credit card companies aren't you know rough, aren't falling themselves over to get in there. So yeah. so look, I know there's some great growth there. Businesses prosper. We've seen some great shareholders appreciation, but to me, there's a lot of risk in that sector. How's bang on 100 PE? Yeah. And we just feels like we've sort of we're pretty close to for me it's like a, it's almost we're at the crescendo of this boom right you know so uh it's not in this particular sector in this particular yeah. sector yeah yeah, yeah. Okay. just just because you've seen so many different participants you know yeah. coming online here now so so t- timing's not quite right a year a year 18 months ago two years ago maybe but yeah. not now yeah yeah all right um lena Wants a view now on Retail Food Group, um, Queensland-based company in the global food and, and beverage industry. Recently sold um, a subsidiary, Dairy Country, to Fonterra Brands, the big, uh, uh, what are they, Italian, I think, um, uh, dairy company. Uh, for just over $19 billion, they own uh, Dibella Coffee. They're in coffee manufacturing and retailing and bakery. Michelle's Patisserie, I think, ah, Brumbies, right. Crust Pizza, so ah, there's a few segments okay. in there. All so to be honest here, the actual COVID has probably been quite good for Retail Food Group. Yep. But but the actual numbers so far haven't been so good because obviously I think um, 18% of the business is Victoria-based. Right. So that's been not so good for them. But so I think so far the results are reasonably flat over that period, which is probably you know not a bad sign there. But the business was in a lot of trouble. Um, over the last few years, so been wow. uh, massive equity raising, uh, huge debt write down, a um, lot of compliant issues. Um, so the business was pretty close to going under here. So on life support, or you might say. Yeah. So so there's definitely a risk here. Um, market cap's 186 mil, so it's pretty small now, um, considering um, uh, where it's at. But yeah, still got some risks here, but. And fairly illiquid by the look of that one-year chart with lots of blocks in, in terms of yeah, the chart. Yeah, just look, I think a lot of the businesses... But great brands, and when, you you know, if there's crust and brumbies and all that sort of stuff... Have done there, just haven't made much money there. I think they've yeah. had a, uh, I think some of the brands have whereas, had a... Whereas Domino's and Collins are all making heaps of money. Yeah, that's that right. Space. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, I'm sure Howard's going to say it's, this is pretty high risk, high danger here right now with the yeah. stock here. But COVID's probably, it may have saved it. Right. Oh, yeah. interesting. Yeah. But the but the share price hasn't moved on it. No, it's look, around it's, that nine cents. Well, it got down to two and a half cents here in wow. uh, March. Oh, okay. So that tells you that the, what the market was worried about there. Yeah. Oh yeah, look at that. Yeah. <coughs> Howard, what do you think of retail food group? Yeah, um, this is a case of um, a company that's a very large franchise though in terms of having, uh, I don't remember the figures, but I think it was something like 3,000 franchisees at its peak in those various groups, Michelle's Patisserie, Brumby's uh, Bakery, all the various different ones we mentioned. Um, but they lost sight of that in order to be a successful company in franchising, you have to make sure that your franchisees make money. 
And for a number of years, um, they did quite well as a head business, but their franchisees that would appear to be didn't make any money. And eventually, of course, the whole thing collapsed like a pack of cards uh, in terms of their franchisees. And they've got a lot of very angry franchisees and a lot of resentment and threats of class actions. I don't know if a class action ever happened, but there were threats of it at one stage. Um, and uh, as Gary says, they had a near-death experience. They had a hugely discounted capital raising. They, they, over the years, had had somewhere between 150 and 180 million shares on issue. And they did such a large capital raising in terms of number of shares that they're now, now over 2 billion shares outstanding. Whoa. Now, the difficulty when you've got a franchise network that's got resentful, unhappy, and not complaining, they're not making money, is most of those franchise agreements are five years or longer. So to redo them is a, a, an absolute nightmare over time. So this is a business that has really gone from looking on the surface like a good business, but underneath the hood it probably wasn't, to um, being a, not only on life support, it's still touch and go, I would say, whether it will make it uh, eventually. So very, very high risk. Now, of course, on such a low share price, if you buy them at nine cents and they go to 11 cents, you could walk around feeling like a hero, um, mm -hmm. but you could just as easily lose your money. Um, so definitely not one that Team Invest would look at. It, it would now have to be a complete turnaround. Um, but they do still have lots of franchisees. But the last um, we looked at it, which is probably about a year ago, most of the franchisees were extremely unhappy rather than extremely yeah. happy. And the key of running a franchise business like Domino's has done so well is to make sure that at least the top 80% of your franchisees, the most successful ones, make yeah. money and are kept happy. Uh, if there are a few that don't make it, well, that's life. But you've got to make sure that the bulk of them make money. Yeah, that's amazing. What, what a difference that is with such great brand names and you compare it to Domino's and Collins Foods. Um, way different performers. All right, uh, thank you for that, Lena. Um, some really good analysis there. Let's just recap the first five stocks. Uh, points bet, uh, our stock of the day, a no for Howard. Uh, Gary um, says it looks really interesting with its chart at the moment and some good momentum there. Uh, Iris, a no from both. McPherson's a no from Howard. Gary would be interested under two bucks. Uh, Kodan, a no from Howard. Um, Gary's got it on his watch list for a pullback. Uh, a no for EML payments and a no for retail food group. Um, here at the call, we have our own portfolio. We've been tracking since July 1. Any stocks that get two thumbs up from our expert panel goes into the portfolio. Let's take a look how we're doing at the moment. The last week up two and a quarter percent for the month, four percent. And since the 1st of July, the calls portfolio is up just under 22%. Take a look at some of the stocks that were recently added to it by our expert panel, Iron Ear, uh, Ike GPS, Ridley, Deterra and Clunaville, um, and some ETFs from our ETF um, special a couple of weeks ago. If you want to take a look at all the stocks in the calls portfolio, head to osbiz.co forward slash portfolio. And if any um, stocks come back up for adjudication and don't get the two thumbs up, um, they then go out of the portfolio. CSL went out of the portfolio yesterday, as our panel yesterday said, 
well, take some profits because it's had a massive run up. Um, coming up after the uh, the call or the call tomorrow, rather, um, something a bit different. We're going to uh, dedicate it to analysing ten recent or upcoming floats on the stock exchange. We get the expert views on whether you should get into these stocks early. We've had lots of people uh, saying, um, you know, things like Adore Beauty and, and stocks like that, uh, Chaucer Energy, um, should we be getting in on the ground floor of them? Chris McDonald from Morgans and Conrad Song from Macro will answer all of those questions tomorrow on the call. Um, also coming up on the Pulse uh, Mining, Mining Group Native Mineral Resources. Uh, has listed on the ASX today following a $4 million raise. Its chief executive, Blake Canavo, uh, joins the Pulse this afternoon at 1.40. All right, let's get back into uh, the second half of the call. And uh, uh, Howard Craig wants a view on Remelius Resources, the gold uh, mining and production company. Uh, big focus on the Mount Magnet gold mine in Western Australia and also has a few projects in the United States. Yeah, um, they've got a number of small mines that are either in production or just about in production. So this is actually a real mine and not, a, not, not just mining shareholders' wallets to go off and look for something or other. Um, they've actually found gold and have uh, uh, developed it and uh, moving it out of the ground and processing it. So from that point of view, quite positive. It does actually pass our filters, but at the moment, a few gold mining companies pass our filters, helped by the fact that the gold price is so high. And that would be my worry with Remelius. Most of their mines are real or projects are relatively short life. They're not 20, 30 year mining projects. They're much shorter than that. And um, the gold price is currently high. Um, they've got to invest money to develop the mine and a few years later, of course, the resource is used up um, and you've got to start all over again. So you always have to be aware when you buy into a mining company, if it's got a relatively short life, that it's going to be capital intense to find replacement resources for these ones when they're eventually mined out. Um, so Remelius, as gold mining companies go, looks quite good. Um, but uh, it's hard to get enthusiastic about buying into gold mining companies when the gold price is so high. You really want to buy into gold mining companies when the price is low and everybody's talking about this antiquated metal that shouldn't even be considered an investment. That's mm. the time to buy gold mining companies right. because that they can benefit when it goes up. So good little company, um, but a no from us only because it's uh, a wasting resource and the gold price is high at the moment. Uh, Gary, Romelius? Yeah, look, I mean, like the, the, the financials are pretty solid here. I think the revenue line's been actually up pretty strong, so up what, 30% on the previous year. So, yeah, profit 113 mil as well recently. So, um, but yeah, and the PE's not, you know, not stretched by any means. So, from a value point of view, as far as uh, exploration producers go, it's, you know, it's trading on a reasonable multiple. Just. Yeah, I just can't. Uh, yeah, it's just for me. It's a pretty crowded sort of trade. Everyone's sort of playing gold here on the yep. inflation sort of bit. So, yeah, pricing a lot of success. There's a lot can go wrong with these businesses. So, capex is pretty high across. You know, typically here. So, yeah, mine life is, is how it points down as well. So, yeah, just too risky for me at the moment. So, okay. um, not not for me. All right. Um, what about Munro Global 
growth fund. The ETF, David wants a view on this, uh, uh, became an ETF on, on the 2nd of November and will list in the Munro Global Growth Fund, $800 million under investment, been going four years, uh, long short fund. Um, what do you think of this? Top of the market, David. Yep. So, <laughs> so, it's a, so is this always a bell at the top of the market? So it's, a, it? so it's a listed sort of hedge fund. So yep. yeah, long short. Um, basically, uh, predominantly sort of international sort of uh, equity. So I like to yep. go along some of the growth and rest. So yeah, so look, they've had, they had a, uh, I think 16.9% annual return for the last four years. So pretty, yep. pretty uh, great uh, results there. Just yeah, just the timing here for me. It's just yep. sort of that's not the sort of area I want to be, and I, I don't mind the long short funds. Uh, I think they'll they'll cope well with uh, high valuations like we are at the moment. So that's that's the plus there. Probably just like to see a bit more, you know. Yeah, just yep. just not for me personally, but yeah. Yep. But okay. track record's not bad. Um, Howard, for an ETF, the um uh, the fees are pretty pretty high as well. One point three five percent a year base fee, plus ten percent percent uh, performance fee as well. Yeah, and uh, and you can find ETFs that are a lot cheaper than that. Yeah. And in the end, uh, one of the strange things is that, you know there are more funds available to Australians than there are shares listed on the ASX. Okay. About three times as many. There's something like 6,000 funds available to Australians and we've got 2,200 shares in the stock market. So um, that just doesn't make any sense to me. And um, you know our team invest members are running their own portfolios and getting very good returns. So they would be interested in investing in a fund. If one in Australia was looking at a global fund to invest in, probably the best uh, fund manager to put your money into is probably Magellan which yeah. have got a long track record now of doing really well. Um, but, you know, uh, as Gary said, it's the top of the market. Um, again, you know, funds are the kind of things that or their returns exaggerate what happened on the market. So when markets are rising, funds do well. When markets are dropping, they usually do poorly and by more than the market does poorly and on the way up, usually by more than the market does well. So the fact that they've generated 16 point something percent return uh, average over the last four years, there's probably a couple of thousand funds that have done that. Um, yeah. It's, you know, a rising tide lifts all boats. Um, so I don't know this fund, I don't know the people who are running it, um, but it, it, it wouldn't be something that, that I would mark as a yes. Okay. Uh, I think you can do better with your money on the ASX. Okay, um, could you do, Better with your money getting into uh, Domain. Um, Howard, Omer wants a view on Domain, the um, um, the listed um, or, or digital adver property advertising platform, uh, biggest co competitor to, to realestate.com.au. Yeah, the sad story that they should have uh, digitised the rivers of gold uh, when they were printing newspapers um, but didn't and they waited till they had competitors and then finally got in a bit late. Its return on equity has been 1.9%, 3.1 and 1.7 over the last three years. That's not a well-run business. Um, it doesn't have much debt. Uh, earnings haven't grown. Uh, in fact, if anything, they've shrunk in 2020 compared to 2018 and 2019. Um, it, it, it really, there's nothing in any of its metrics that look particularly good. 
Um, so a definite uh, no from me fairly promptly. Uh, Gary? How about the PE, Howard? You can't, can't bite on 118 times? <laughs> <laughs> it's 118? Yeah. Wow. I think that's probably affected by the last profit uh, line there, but yeah, regardless, still still pretty high there. So yeah. it'll be pretty close to three figures, whichever way you look at it. So yeah, big big models here. Just look, a reasonable business there. I just, uh, you know, real estate's obviously um, sort of cooking at the moment. So um, Ben, I suppose all the real estate agents are uh, you know, very, very busy. Um, been a, definitely with some money sort of gone back into the property market after the COVID there. Yep. But I just sort of wonder whether that's sort of everyone who's in, in any sort of trouble maybe selling here now um, just to get themselves in the, you know, right. to, to look looking ahead here, just whether we'll see the same level of activity in the next 12 months. I'm not okay. sure we're going to see that. So yep. I also think a lot of the business is getting done off market as well. So talk to a lot of agents there, they're selling a lot of properties off market, yep. not just on market as well. Yep. So that will um, impact um, REA and domain, but multiples are enormous. I know real estate, you know, is a great business there, but oh, there's, a, there's a lot of success priced in right now. And uh, you also, you've, you're on a euphoric sort of real estate market currently as well. So yeah. that's not the time to be sort of, um, you know, to me, it's not time to be looking in. It's probably the time you're doing the opposite, trying to be trimming. Right, you know, so. taking some profits on yeah. it if you've ridden it up. Yeah. All right, uh, Amelia wants a view on uh, Gary, <coughs> excuse me, Credit Corp. Um, this is a, a financial company that basically buys uh, the debts of major financial financial institutions, don't they? The, the loan book of them and says, hey, we'll pay you the money up front and we'll collect the debts for you. That's right, and they got to try and recover them over the next uh, few years there. Yeah. So. I think uh, Credit Corp's sort of one of the probably the best in this, this segment here. So yeah. I think if they haven't collected, I was told this morning if they haven't collected it within six years, it's pretty much written down. Oh, okay. Whereas some of the other firms that have gotten to trouble here um, recently have uh, have not written it down. Right. After you know, so you know, and still carrying the the asset ah. on their books later on. Ah, okay. Because um, it's been so a. So there are a few in this sector, is that how uh, Macmillan Shakespeare collection, is one collection house and right. is it? Macmillan, is it? Quantum, is it? Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, with um, and a couple of those were actually suspended for a while here recently, right. just because of some of the um, the valuations on some of the, right. the old assets okay. there. So, yeah, it's look. I think this is this is the the leader of the pack here. Um, yeah. This is probably the um, the best business within that sector. Um, but market caps one half billion there. Yields getting a little skinny here now. Now one half percent. Do think this is you know, the business has been written down quite a bit here. It has done a, a reasonable raising. It raised 155 million um, down the low, but not not massive in terms of its its complete business. Not like a Webjet where it's raised over 50 percent right. of its shares. Um, but yeah, so look, I, I think the stock can go high here. I just noticed around 24 dollars is a big level technically. So I do like this one here. Um, there is a really interesting little company which is just listed in the last couple of weeks called Credit Clear. And right. if you have a look at this industry, it's it, the, the all the players are old. Yeah, um, hasn't been any change. Yeah. yeah, so yeah. it's been it's for me. It's actually there's there's a real scope for a yeah. uh, disruptor to come into this sector. Have right. a look at CCR Credit Clear. Yeah, they've just recently floated. They're doing things a little differently. Right, uh, a little bit more sort of fintechy. Um, 
Oh. Yeah, they've actually... Okay. In fact, Credit Clear is one of our 10 stocks on our IPO special tomorrow to take a look at. Yeah, so I think it looks look at, really yeah. interesting. Oh. And having looked at the sector, that sector is ripe for disruption. Oh, so, okay. uh, yeah, considering right. a lot of issues that have happened in the last 12 months as well, yep. even more. And I think Credit Clear, there's a couple of videos, presentations out there. Looks okay. like they're getting a little bit of traction as well. So it could be one to watch. Yeah. All right. Well, look at that more clearly tomorrow. Credit yep. Corp, though, do you like it at these levels? I think it goes higher here. I don't right. love it, but I think it's uh, steady. And I think um, I think in the sector, it's probably the, the one you want to be in. Okay. Yeah. Howard, what do you think of Credit Corp? Yeah, it's a business we really like in Team Invest. A lot of our members own it. I own it personally. I've got quite a lot of shares in it. And uh, I bought quite a lot more when the share price went down. In fact, it got all the way down to $6.01, but I wasn't watching my computer on that day and I landed up paying $6.50 and bought some others at $8.25. So I've done very well recently out of it, but I already owned a lot of them before then. I just added to it. I'd been happy to add at anything below $15. So when it got down to sixes and eights, uh, I was super keen, as were lots of Team Invest members. Um, it's a company we know really well now to it's the best one in the industry as gary says and if you want to be in this industry there are two skills you really need number one is you have to be really good at the pri pricing the ledgers that you buy from the banks credit card companies etc in order to be really good at buying those ledgers you need a big database of how these people have paid in the past and that's what Credit Corp has got, and that's what their moat is in Australia. So it's all very well to say the industry is old and you could get a disruptor. The disruptor doesn't have that information. The disruptor doesn't know the past track record of the hundreds of thousands of people, may in fact be millions of people, but it's certainly hundreds of thousands, that Credit Corp has got. So when it comes to pricing, buying a debtor's ledger, they can do that accurately. The second thing you have to do is be good at collecting. And you have to do it in a way in which you don't fall foul of the, the regulators. Mm -hmm. And the competitors have felt fallen foul of the regulators, leaving them as the only one with a decent reputation left that the banks are comfortable dealing with. Now, last year, they, uh, or towards the end of the financial year 2020, they wrote down uh, quite a lot of their ledgers on the grounds of if unemployment in Australia went up dramatically and the US where they operate too, um, that may affect their collections. But in actual fact, unemployment hasn't risen that much, so it hasn't been as big a problem as they thought it may become. But the beauty of it is by that big write-down enabled them to buy debtors' ledgers cheaper because they were able mm. to show the risk that was uh, around because of COVID. So they've been able to price debtors' ledgers really well recently. So extraordinarily well-run company. Um, it's one of our wealth winners that, that uh, we talk about uh, in Team Invest. A lot of members own it. Um, and uh, uh, I, I, as I mentioned earlier, own quite a lot of it and added to it recently. At the current price, I don't think it's all that cheap, but it's not all that expensive either because okay. the earnings for the past year were artificially reduced. Um, or artificially, because as it turns out, uh, unemployment didn't get as bad as we thought it would. So the likelihood is there'll be a big bounce back in earnings in 2021. Okay. Yeah, I agree with that. I reckon it's uh, a great space to be in next year. 
Yep. So I think that, uh, yeah, this space is hmm. probably going to get better. I just noticed on yeah. our, our ticker coming up, just it's up 5% today, so yeah. people are starting to like it a bit. Yeah. All right, we, we've got to get into our, our final stock because uh, coming up towards the end of the hour, uh, Howard, Chris wants a view on Zuno Group. Now, this is um, basically in the anti-microbial um, hand sanitizers and, and sprays, a, a New Zealand-based company. Um, a bit of a disappointing first quarter earnings um, and share prices suffered a bit, but it's all in sanitizing. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's got this antimicrobial uh, technology or biotech, uh, technology is the wrong word, um, uh, that's that's relatively unique. I mean, there are others that do the same thing, but they're using this particular uh, Zuno molecule for it, uh, I believe. Uh, the trouble is, though, um, we, we really have very little history of this company making profits. And um, sure, they're going to be big beneficiaries now while COVID's on, but uh, presuming that there are one or more vaccines available in the not too distant future, uh, a lot of that business will probably shrink. So too little history that I can tell anything about it um, to be able to be enthused about it. And uh, on that basis, uh, mm. a, a no, uh, because I can't see any numbers that make any, yep. any sense. It's up and down from one year to the next and too hard to tell. Yep. And um, Gary, their revenue down 28%. Um, yeah. in, the, in the first quarter of this well, financial year yeah. compared. And I have this theory, it's a bit like um, uh, bitters. You know the little bottle of bitters that yeah. you always buy when you first get married and you have it for the rest of your life? <laughs> I've never actually finished a, yeah. any hand sanitizer. It's almost like a bottomless pen. Yeah. Well, once you buy one. Yeah. Well, you saw McPherson's actually wrote off about five and a half million dollars worth of actually for their numbers as well. Oh, so, okay. Which has been commonplace among everyone to have to write right. them off. So okay. everyone's gone out and bought too much of it. Yeah. So Zuno's had its day in the sun there. It's, yeah. uh, it's a bit of a one-man band as well here. So uh, right. got a lot of key man risk. Um, had a euphoric run on, you know, yep. Yes, it tests positive. No, it didn't test that positive. Now it's tested more, more, more yep. positive. Yep. Sector's on fire. It could be a great stock in the, you know, COVID. But yep. yeah, look, looking forward here, it's got some big risks from here. So yep. it's a definite no for me. Yep. Everyone's missed the boat. Yeah. If you got it at the start, sorry, Howard. I've got all the hand sanitizer we've all got because <laughs> I like you, and I'm sure everybody else we know has a huge bottle that we bought at the beginning of COVID <laughs> that we now realise we will never use up. So why don't we set up a hand sanitizer exchange and we can trade these all with one another will <laughs> be exactly efficient yeah. on us trading all these bottles of hand sanitizer yeah. with one yeah. another. Great idea. And re yeah. Repurpose them. <laughs> all right, let's just recap our final five stocks. Romelius uh, resources a no from both Howard and Gary. Uh, Munro Global uh, ETF a no. If you, if you want to get into a a fund manager, Magellan, is the leader of the sector there. Domain, I know. Uh, Credit Corp, a yes from both uh, Gary and Howard. Um, uh, a new uh, stock in this area, a disruptor, uh, recently listed called Credit Clear. We're going to look at that in more detail on the call tomorrow. And Zuno, a no from both Gary and Howard. Howard Cobble from Team Invest. Thank you, mate. Always great to catch up. Appreciate your time. Pleasure. Have a good rest of the week. Gary Glover from Novus, likewise. Okay, thank Great you. to see you. All right, that's our show for today. If you'd like any of your stocks 
uh, covered, uh, email them into us, thecall.osbiz.com.au or on Twitter using the at Osbiz TV handle if you want to check out all the stocks in the calls portfolio, which includes Credit Corp from today. Head to osbiz.co forward slash portfolio. And if you want to get a wrap up of everything that's happened in the day in markets, business, finance, startups, uh, subscribe to the COB, Nadine and Scuddy. Uh, get it all across by 5.30 in the afternoon. It lands in your inbox to subscribe. Go to osbiz.co slash join. And uh, coming up on the Startup Daily Show very soon, which uh, takes a look at all the companies seeking capital and all the latest in the startup sector. Santiago Burridge, the founder of financial advice platform Lumiant, um, uh, joins the team there as he undertakes a capital raise on Equitise. That's coming up on the Startup Daily Show between two and three. So a lot ahead of us here on Ausbiz. You don't want to miss a thing. We'll see you tomorrow at midday for another edition of The Call. See you then.